verses 47 through 56. I'm going to begin reading with verse 44 uh, at the conclusion of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and as he rejoins his, his friends Peter, James, and John as they uh, conclude their, their naps, unfortunately. And um, take it from there. Verse 44 for context and then 47 through 56. Jesus, leaving them again, went away, prayed for the third time, saying the same words. That is to say, let this cup pass. If not, uh, Lord, that will be done. Facing the cross, facing his great suffering on our behalf. Then Jesus came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will, put, will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels. But then, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a, a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Thus far reading God's holy, inerrant word, inspired. All flesh is as grass and as beauty is as the flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read. By God's help, will be preached. Please be seated. Sometimes I like to relax and uh, you know, watch through the various uh, movie and documentary uh, offerings on, uh, on the various uh, channels. One that I've been, uh, I watched last night for a bit uh, is uh, called Spy Ops, Spy Operations. And the fourth episode of the series dealt with the Olympic Games in Munich, where there was a, a terrorist um, attack, and um, and uh, it dealt with the intrigue of the of the Israeli nation to root out uh, the terrorist group called Black September, 
and uh, to bring him to justice, but not in the not in the courts of the world's judicatories, but uh, through spy operations. That's why it's called spy ops. And they avenged the death of their, I believe it was 18 Olympic athletes. One in particular, a woman was uh, probably qualifying for the fastest human, uh, fastest female human in the Western Hemisphere. Spy ops. Spy versus spy. Nation versus nation, kingdom versus kingdom, I think, if we are to mistake the zeal of the Zionist and confuse it for zeal for Jehovah. The kingdom of heaven does not go forward this way. I was struck, as were the French, as this incident occurred on their own soil. Transgressors need to be brought to justice in the light of the sun. Nations may declare lawful wars, but the kingdom of heaven goes forward in meekness, in humility, in truth, in love, in service, and above all, accountable to all in good conscience before God. There is no getting away with zeal, mistaken zeal, thinking that it will profit a nation as these scribes, Sadducees, Pharisees thought to do so. Most unjust, and now Judas, perhaps more than any one person, shows the, the hypocrisy, the duplicity, and the shocking betrayal of his friend, Jesus. His friend, Jesus. The teaching this morning is that the kingdom of God does not come through proud scheming, nor from violence, but through lowly submission to the will of God. Simple. The kingdom of heaven does not come through proud scheming and violence, but through lowly submission to the will of God. Four points this morning. First point, hypocrites betray Jesus by abusing so many covenantal privileges. Hypocrites betray their Lord. They wear religion as a cloak for unrighteousness. They do things in the dark, in a corner. They won't come to the public courts of the church. Not in broad daylight, where the public can see them, because if the people saw what was really up, it would turn on these scoundrels, and then they would not even, they would forfeit their, their positions, their trust, their authority, and their, perhaps their lives and property. This is scandalous the way the Lord was treated. Hypocrites betray Christ because they abuse so many liberties that are outwardly theirs within the covenant of grace. Now you see, all of the disciples, the 12, were friends and they were intimate with the Lord Jesus. They had spent years with him. And Judas was right there in this number. 
Judas was the treasurer. But you know, and again, this is a place in Scripture where amazing, amazing irony is displayed. We just sang Psalm 2, uh, and the, the nations are in uproar, and this is what's happening. What's happening now is the, the Scriptures is being fulfilled where all nations conspire against the Lord and against, United, uh, against His anointed, Psalm 2. The Lord is saying, you know, why this, why this rebellion? Why, is every, why are all the nations so agitated? I have clearly set my anointed on the holy hill, and he will reign, and his scepter is a, is a, is a righteous scepter, and his rule is just, and I will plant him on my holy hill. And then the admonition. Kiss the sun, which is, you know, in the Psalm 2, it means the sun appointed to the Davidic covenant, namely pictured, mostly pictured in the king, David and his descendants. Kiss the sun. Kiss the king. king kiss the king of Israel. If not in the type, at least in the antitype, the, the real, the real essence was Jesus. Kiss the Messiah. Come to terms with God's appointed leader, lest his wrath soon be kindled and you perish in your way. And how blessed are all who trust in him. That's Psalm 2. Read that this afternoon. That's why we have the Lord's Day. But Judas is here happy to outwardly conform to this killing letter with the instruction, kiss the sun. He would kiss the son by betraying him and indicating him as a sign in hypocrisy. Judah, Judas, whose name means praise, utterly fails the praise of God. And it's because the nation of Israel has utterly failed in its representative government. Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests. We'll see more and more how this is done as a representative of the nation. This is a Presbyterian structure through and through, even in the Old Covenant. Jesus will treat his betrayer kindly. He calls Judas his friend. Friend, do what you came to do. This is the cup that Jesus must drink. And so he welcomes it as the Father's will. Jesus is kind to the last. Jesus' kindness should break our hearts. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Mothers and fathers, if you, if you ever want to claim your children, you don't shout them and scream at them and threaten them back into the kingdom. You, you woo them. You love them. You show them kindness and tenderness. It's God's kindness that us to, lends, uh, brings us to repentance. But my friends, you who are in the outward covenant, you who have sworn to help Shane Christian, if you begin to abuse your privileges and look to benefits alone in the church and not to your duties, you are abusing God's kindness. You are, you are taking for granted that because the Lord Jesus is kind, because he forbears that he somehow, somehow 
is excusing your villainy. He's excusing your lack of faith, your faithlessness. He will rebuke you like he does in Psalm 50, saying to the sinners who are outward in covenant, but displaying no heart love to God. He rebukes them by saying, you thought I was just like you, didn't you? And yet I will rebuke you and set things in order before you. Hypocrites. Every sin is a great evil. And by every sin, we lift our arms to God and say, I will not serve that man. No. You have to look at sin in its blackest light. And don't you dare presuppose that because God is kind and he's forgiving you, he's always forgiving you that he will continue to do that. Or you will harden your heart. And if you're not careful, you will play more than the hypocrite. You will play the betrayer of Christ. You will be this Judas intended for prayer by, by in name for praise by covenant but betraying him. Sin is to be hated. Sin is to be avoided. Judas, this is not his first sin. He stole money from the purse. He was the treasurer. He was an avaricious man. He was a covetous man. He was not a contented man. Even as he preached the gospel and, 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 and offered for a remission of sins and did miracles in the, in the name of Jehovah God. Sin is to be hated, avoided as the greatest evil in the church. Truth is to be upheld. Holiness is to be upheld. You owe your brother correction, even if at the risk of him being angry with you and leaving the church. The greatest evil in the church is not that people are leaving the church. What we should be rending our hearts about and rending our clothing as well and sitting in ashes is that we have sinned against God. That should break our hearts. Not that people are leaving. If Jesus was kind to this arch apostate betrayer, Judas, he will certainly be kind to you. Why do you have hard thoughts of your master? Why do you think that he's a cruel taskmaster and diligently seeking you out your every picadillo of sin? Look how he treats Judas. Don't you know that if you are penitent and you return to him, confessing your sin and resolving to do better, he will certainly receive you and, and, and take you up as his own lamb and carry you in his bosom. He's the good shepherd. And he has that for you. He says to you, friend, and such as you are by his contract, which is baptism, he will certainly receive you. He will certainly forgive your sins. Your sins will certainly be remitted. You will certainly have assurance. He will again confirm you in the faith. He will turn you. He will wash you. Though your, will, your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as wool. He will do it for his own name's sake and for his own glory. And you will rejoice in God your maker. And then therefore, after this, he does this. You will, after you're restored, as Peter was restored after his apostasy and betrayal, you will teach your brethren the same, that God 
is a rescuer of sin, he's a pardoner, and he's ready to receive those who have betrayed him. That, my friends, is grace. But hypocrites betray Jesus, and they continue to betray Jesus, and they do not repent, and they abuse their covenantal principles. Be careful that you do not end up in the very thesis of what Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is doing. Matthew is presenting the way of salvation. The Gospel of Matthew points to the way to the Lamb, through repentance, through the washing of baptism. But it also, it also illustrates those that are left behind, that are still playing the religious hypocrites and are satisfied in their own righteousness and will not be turned, not by John the Baptist, not by Jesus, not by anybody. Because hypocrites betray Jesus and they abuse every outward privilege of the covenant of grace. Second point, the kingdom of heaven is not advanced by fleshly means. This is why spy ops for Israel, it may, as a nation, it may have suited them to, be, to eliminate the black September terrorist group. I don't know, God will judge that at the end. Certainly a few governments in the world were wondering what in the, how is this justice? We do the same. We take shortcuts and we assassinate people? I, I don't know. The Lord will judge that at the last. But what we need to know is that the kingdom of God, his church, is not served by secrecy, by whisperings in the corner, by slander and gossip, by machining and scheming in darkened hor uh, corridors with, you know, it's not the way it goes forward. The kingdom of heaven is not advanced by fleshly means. The use of weapons for self-defense, that's fine in a lawful war. The magistrate has, bears the sword and not in vain. But the church does not bear the sword. The church, as I mentioned in Sunday school, doesn't even have a paddle for their or, you know, misbehaving children. I'm misbehaving. <laughs> misbehaving children. We don't even have a paddle. We don't, have, we don't have corporeal punishment. The Jewish, church, the Jewish state did because that was a theocracy. It prescribed this. The New Testament does not. Jesus condemns the use of violence in advancing his cause. He's the Prince of Peace. He's not the Prince of Intrigue. He's not the Prince of Darkness. Condemns the use of violence in the propagation of religion and in the maintenance of religion. Deceitful scheming. Paul says we're through. We're through with deceitful scheming, which is what the Judaizers always did, and those who resisted his gospel. But he always spoke in the, in the plain light of day, as Jesus did in the temple and everywhere we went. He was absolutely in front of everybody declaring the truth of God, and if any, if any of that needed to be refuted, it should be refuted uh, along authority lines and not in a kangaroo court at 3 a.m. Those who live by the sword, Jesus says, will die by the sword. Put that thing back in its sheath. You may need it. There's a time where there's political intrigue, where there's a just defense of self is called for. By the way, that's tonight's preaching. We have the Lord's Supper. The instruction is, thou shalt not kill, but we're going to talk a little bit about where the sword plays out. There is a place to defend life. But in the case of Jesus, 
how else will the scriptures be fulfilled? He is that Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He is that scapegoat that would bear the sin of a, of a nation where the highest rank of priesthood has either by ignorance or by vile cruelty crucified their Lord. And the Old Testament made provision for sins of, even of the high priest and they involve the scapegoat. That's a future preaching. We'll look at that. But those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And they will die not as martyrs to Jehovah, not as martyrs to Allah, who doesn't exist, but as God's judgment. You reap what you sow. And that sword will strike a vile hatred no matter what zeal drives the sword. It is a vile act and it ended up killing the Prince of Peace. Physical violence, of course, is the extreme measures of the covenant of, uh, of the, the kingdom of heaven. Physical violence is not the, any means uh, of the advancement of, of, of the kingdom of heaven. It's fleshly. Our weaponry is spiritual. It's not carnal. Our weaponry is prayer, acts of love and compassion, preaching, singing. When we sing psalms, we are warning the nations you yourself have proclaimed the truth, warning the nations of God's appointment of his Messiah. That's our warfare, and that's why we need to be in attendance. We are doing war when we sing. All sinful endeavors, besides violence, all sinful endeavors seeming to advance the church, are to be condemned. Compromises with the world, the flesh, known errors to the consensus, the best consensus of the church. You know, out with these, because you think, well, the more people will come if we, let's ease up on this. The more people will come to the church if we're less godly, is what you're saying. Church history is sobering to read. And the failure of the church to use fleshly means with great zeal and relish in the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. But we have our own faults here as evangelicals. We have all kinds of compromises. It's not merely violence that we're not doing. Any sensuality to the flesh, man-pleasing entertainment and worship. Not preaching the whole of the counsel of God, but holding back. The, the preaching of repentance, for instance, hardly ever even brought up. Turn from your sins. Fear the Lord. Return to God. He, he, will, he will embrace you. He, he, will, he will take you in his arms. He will love you. He will restore that, that close fellowship. Walk in the light with him. He, he awaits your return. All day long, I have extended my arms to a wicked and stiff-necked generation. 
imitate Christ and his servants to the Lord. And so, my friends, we need to understand that the kingdom of advanced in the way that God would have it advanced. The weak things, the foolish things, the things that are not, not the things, not the wisdom of the world, not, not the banking schemes, not, not, the, not the education schemes where people are taught must be, this is the way you are to preach. This is the way that you are to teach. Paul holds preaching as the paramount example of the foolishness of God because we glory in Christ and not in flesh. We glory in his weakest moment on the cross was God's vindication of his son in accomplishing worldwide redemption. At his weakest moment, God was strongest in providing Christ. And at his most foolish moment, he was the wisest in confounding human pride, in confounding the arrogance of our fallen race. And I'm talking about you and me. All our boast, if we're Christians, is in the gospel of Christ. All our boast is in the Lord. We have nothing to commend ourselves. We preach Christ and Him crucified and nothing else. There are, there's no ground for anything else. But in our preaching of Christ, we insist that if He's resident in you, you will repent. That you will renew a right walk with our Lord. That you will learn humility and meekness, that you will be poor in spirit. By and by, the Lord will convert you and is now beginning to conform you into the image of God in Christ in your sanctification. That is a reality as true as the resurrection, as real as your justification, is your growing holiness and pursuit of peace with all men, without which no man will see the Lord. God will advance his church using weak things. People that confess their sins. People that, that are ashamed and, and hope to do better. Not people that are overly critical because they can't see their own, they can't see their own manifest, manifest failures. God will shame the strong. God will Dismiss the proud, the poor, the humble. He is filled with his good things in the public assembly. But the rich, he continually sends away empty. When will we learn this? Welcome the poor. Welcome the marginal into the assembly. Welcome the lame. Welcome the blind. Welcome the marginalized, the weak things. These are established. Remember David's 300. Only the misfits followed David in the kingdom. The rich, they followed Absalom. Point number three, the kingdom of heaven is advanced by heart submission to God's will. That's the only way. Jesus could have summoned the help of more, says the scripture, of more. If I wanted to get out of this situation, Peter, that's, he's the one that struck the Malchus' ear off. Like, if I wanted to really get out of this situation, this is a pickle, I'm in the pickle. If I wanted to get out of the pickle, 
I would ask my father to send more than 12 legions of angels. 12 legions of angels is 60,000 angels. One angel took care of Sennacherib and his 176,000 men as they surrounded Jerusalem. One angel went about and destroyed everybody. What will 60,000 or more do to this scrap heap of rusty soldiers and their blunt blades and clubs? Come on. Jesus could have gotten out of this, but that was not the will of the Father, and that was not his will ultimately. Jesus knew and would submit to the Father's will, and that was the cross. He must, he must be the propitiation for sins. He must complete redemption. He's the Lamb. He must reconcile men to God, and he will, because the Scripture cannot be broken. Iniquity will be atoned for. There'll be an end to sacrifices. The temple will not be necessary. All you priests will be outsourced. We got a new priesthood because we have a new high priest. And you guys are done. You failed as a nation. So Jesus was the Lamb of God. He knew it. Jesus was a scapegoat. He's bearing the iniquity, not only of his people, but the scapegoat in particular was, was to don the the sins of the, of the leaders. Because the leaders are prone to sin. And under the Old Testament, they have to sacrifice for themselves as well. And principally, it was the scapegoat. The high priest would lay his hands on them. He would be cursed and he'd be led out of the wilderness and they'd go into dispersion. Jesus would suffer. He would not fight. He would not try to attempt an escape. He would not forego the cross. He would be obedient to the Father. He, and he does this out of love to God and love to you. He had you in mind. He had you in mind when he said, no, let it be so. I will not save my life. I will spend my life. I will give my life a ransom for many. Knowing that the Lord, of course, would reward him with his inheritance. You're his inheritance. You're his offspring. You're, you are the trophy and his crown and all of his joy. After enduring such shame and suffering, do you think then that Jesus will respect a sincere, a humble, a contrite faith, an attempt to understand his will, and a, a movement however slight but sincere, of repentance in your heart and coming to him, I'm impossible. He is that father that will look for the prodigal while he is yet far away and run to him, run to you and give you his best cloak and his signet ring and slaughter the fattened calf. When you're far away, you still don't know how vile you are and eating with sloppy pigs and defiling yourself as you have. You hardly have wept for sin as you ought. You have not rent your hearts. But you have some kind of goodness in you yet. You have some contrition. And so you turn to the Lord. And he will take you up. And he will restore you. And he will groom you and get teach you further. You teach, you, you learn from him. And you learn meekness and you learn humility and you learn 
then when he corrects you, he means good and not your shame. Lastly, you know you are prone to overestimate your faithfulness to Jesus. And that's why he brings you trials. These are not, these are not accidents. This is providential. He, he sends you, the Lord sends you some very, very strong things to challenge your baptism, to test your steel, to see if you are approved of him. He'll put you in awkward situations in your home, among your friends at work. Will you forfeit the church to follow a lucrative vocation? Oh, but it's on Sunday. You know, after all, football's a fun plane. That's a fun, that's a fun game. I agree, football's fun. But once you're out of college, you're into the pros, you're into Sunday football. I, where are all the ministers condemning this? Where? where? That's, not a, that's not a calling, a, that's not a just vocation. That's entertainment. We can do without this. We can't do without preaching and the ordinances. We cannot. You're prone to overestimate your faithfulness to Jesus until you're severely tried. And this is what's going on here with all of his disciples. Oh, no, I, I mean, yeah. look, I, I, I'm yours. So I'll never leave you, Lord. Come what may, I will not deny you, says Peter. And the rest of the disciples, they've all recently boasted of their fidelity and willingness to even die with Jesus. That's zeal, but without knowledge. Self-knowledge is the beginning of all knowledge. Says Calvin in his early chapters in the Institutes. Yet at the striking of the shepherd, a scripture must be fulfilled, all fled, all deserted Jesus, all deserted their master. And I'll remind you again. This gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, if you've been following this preaching, Jesus is winnowing his grain. Jesus is winning, winnowing his outward, outwardly covenanted people. He's, he's at the threshing floor. He's, he's separating the, 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 the heart from the chaff. That's what we do when we repent. But that's just what the Lord do if we are confirmed Hypocrites, and we are finally given over to apostasy. The lanes are separate. Trials will confirm or will condemn. You need to have your wits about you. You need to come to church ready to rejoice, but with trembling. Let him who thinks he stand, let take heed. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been an officer for 40 years. Whatever. You need to pray, lead me not into temptation. Flesh gains nothing, certainly not heaven. You can do nothing without Jesus' grace and help. He only helps the meek, the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are willing to bear and forbear, forgiving their enemies. He only, there's only but one blessing. Read the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, you're not going to score six out of ten. There's only one blessing. Only one. If those attributes are, with, are, are in you, to the least extent, it's because God is in you, Christ is in you. But if not, if you will not reconcile quickly with a brother on any terms, 
There is no blessing. You have to judge yourself before you judge others, lest you become a hypocrite. And if you remain a hypocrite, you are bound to apostatize. Those who judge others, eager to condemn others, they will be tried. They will be brought to shame and humiliation through severe trial. The conclusion of this teaching is the kingdom of heaven does not come through proud scheming. It does not come through violence, through the fleshly wisdom, through cunning, through planning like this, but through lowly submission to the will of God. I have to ask you, are you born again? Do you know the danger of donning the sinful flesh of your father Abraham? Do you know the danger of not mortifying that? Sin will kill you if you are not killing the sin and the Holy Spirit. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Are you born again? Hypocrites will make a long show. They'll take a long stand. They'll climb to the highest ecclesiastical offices here. Caiaphas, Ananias, all the scribes, Gamaliel. Long show about religion. Without the power of godliness. You must know God's will in order to submit to it. Do you know, do you know the Lord's will? Can you recite the Ten Commandments? Do you know the golden rule? Can you apply the golden rule? Are you looking for procedures in the book of church order? Or are you asking yourself, if I were in that shoe, how would I love to be treated? Do you know the gospel? Are you waiting for the minister to bless you with the gospel? Or can you, do you know the gospel and you can apply it to yourself? Every day you should be applying the gospel. Without applying the Bible, the promises of the gospel, I don't know how you can recover from your daily sins. What kind of hope do you have without the gospel promises? You should be waiting for the gospel promise in every sermon for sure. But you should be waiting for yourself to meditate on the gospel promise and remind yourself. And why aren't you so critical with yourself? Because you don't remember the gospel promises. Apply God's love in Christ to you. Remember, look at his sacrifice. He dies for you. He goes to his betrayers. He will be shamed. He will be hanged on the cross, naked, beaten, scourged, spat upon. Those are your debts. He's paying. And rejoice because he'll do it all over again for you because it had to be done. And that, that debt was, surely, was truly paid, not hypothetically paid. He didn't die for everybody. He died for you who are a believer. He didn't die for the whole world in general. Oh, it's a nice concept, very abstract. He died with your name on his ephod, the stones of the tribes of Israel. He died for Judah, but not Judas. He, he died for Dan, the, the idolatrous tribe not even mentioned in the book of Revelation. He died for you. Learn to apply the gospel to yourself. And then praise the Lord Jesus for his love. Pray, praise him for his willingness. Glad, glad willingness to be humble, humiliated, abased for your sins. 
How can you come to church with a long face knowing that he is before you? How? Followed then Jesus' example of loneliness and self-distrust. I can't do that. He's the son of God. He gives you his spirit. And by his spirit, you're to be conformed more, conformed more and more to his image. And you're to pray Psalm 119 the same way. Establish his word that I, you might be confirmed in his, in his paths. You want to walk as Jesus if you're a Christian. And if not, I don't know what you are. And thank the Lord the Father for making Christ the head of the church. Christ is not absent from the church. If the, if the preaching is, is intact, if, the, if, the, if repentance is being, uh, for, for remittance of sins, according to Luke 24, is being preached, if Christ is being held as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, takes, taking away the sins of the world, and faith in Him appropriating all salvation, perfectly justified and treated as righteous in God's sight by faith in Him, and then begun to be perfected in the faith through his sanctification, if that's in place, and if the sacraments are in place, and we've got some semblance of order in the church, there's no, really no, there's no need at all to leave the church. Thank the Lord then for making Christ the head of the church. Or is he a bad administrator? Do you not know that he is near to those who call upon his name and we invoke his name every service? He is zealous when he hears his name, and the angels are too, and in a baptism especially, and we are to remember what we have vowed to him in the solemn assembly. He will not fail to bring all his promises to bear for his children. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. It is his extreme desire to be truthful and to be manifestly true and faithful to his own word. And so all you need to do is rest in it and receive in it and rejoice in it, and be thankful, and rejoice in God, your Savior, the Savior of sinners. That's how the kingdom goes forward. Not through the spy ops. Not through smoke-filled corridors and intrigue. The gospel may shine brightly from this pulpit, may shine brightly in your memory, but better in your hearts. And may it guide you completely. May it sanctify you wholly, your, your mind, your, your spirit, your soul, your whole being. May it keep you in the kingdom of heaven until the dawn breaks, until times are refreshing are at hand, until God restores all things, until you are confirmed completely holy in the new Jerusalem. And until that day, may Christ be preached, be glorified in his church throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, good, good news is hard to find these days, but we're glad that we belong to a Lord and King who is meek and lowly, not full of intrigue and deception, not full of spy ops. We pray, Lord, that we be children of light, that we may love the light, 
and that we may bring all your truth to bear in the light. May we, may be, may we be meek in it and lowly in it and poor in spirit in it. And may we remember your words to us, our calling, as you've taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. May we submit, saying, Thy will be done. For you are Lord, most worthy to be served. Help us. You've promised to do so. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have an offering, please.